0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Behind
1: the Curtain, and here are your hosts, Mr. Ray and Corey Adams! Hey, this is Corey Adams, and I'm here with...
0: I'm Mr. Ray.
1: What's going on, Mr. Ray? Welcome to the Behind the Curtain podcast. What are you up to? Nothing much, just watching TV right now. Yeah, I'm actually driving to my girlfriend's house right now because she has to be up at work for 3 a.m. And guess who has to bring her? You, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, right now when we're going to introduce our guest, but I kind of feel like, uh, what's his name from uh, WCW? Um, he was also the tiger guy, the serial the guy. Um, what was his name? Do you remember? Uh, Tony the Tiger, huh? No, the uh, but the guy who did The Voice. He's also the one 800 collect guy for WCW. Uh, on the
0: road. Oh, oh Lee, Marshall. Lee Marshall.
1: I feel like Lee Marshall because I'm driving right now while we're doing this. So, without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Do you know who we have today, Ray? Who? We have Randy Hogan. What's up, Randy?
0: What you gonna do, brother? How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Just Like I said, I'm just Man, driving. Was... it gotta work, so...
0: Well, I just been uh, hitting a few golf balls today, playing around. 75 degrees down here in Orlando.
1: Right, so I got a friend to so move to Jacksonville. I'm jealous.
0: It's still cold. That's just that's just south uh, South Georgia. That ain't really Florida, baby.
1: Oh, okay. Florida starts
0: Orlando south.
1: Okay, I've been I've been to Orlando. My uncle used. to. Uh, so, um, Ray, how about uh? You got the first questions. Why don't you go ahead and fire away?
0: Okay. Sure. Hey, Ray, whatever you want to know, brother, you just ask.
1: How did you get into the pro wrestling business?
0: How did I get into it? Well, I've been a fan since I was probably, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And that was a lot of years ago. My grandparents used to take me to the matches up in in Detroit with... The old school guys, the Chic and Bobo Brazil, and Dick the Bruiser, and Wild Bull Curry, and Killer Kowalski, and guys like that. So I grew up a fan, just loving them guys. And I remained a fan my whole life up to this very day. Um, I used to play in a band and travel around the country doing that. And and used to play a little Holiday Inn circuit in Columbus, Georgia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and every Wednesday night, they used to have wrestling, uh, TV taping there for old Crockett's NWA, Georgia championship wrestling and that, and they used to stay at the holiday Inn. So they come into the bar at night. And of course I knew them all from magazines and stuff and got to uh, be good friends with, uh, a couple of the guys like, uh, Wahoo McDaniel and uh, Ted and Jerry Oates, who owned a gym that are also the guys worked out at, and uh, Bill Continental Lover, Eddie Mansfield. And uh, so years went by, and I remained a fan and was in the restaurant business and said, you know, I wonder what is real and what is fake in this wrestling stuff. So that's really how I got into it. So I called Jerry Oates and said, Jerry, do you know anybody down here in Florida that trains people? He said, "Well, only Hiro Matsuda, but he's very particular. He, you know, helped with the uh, uh, with Mike Graham, and of course trained Hulk Hogan and uh, Lex Luger and some others." <laughs> he said, "But I train guys up here." And I said, "Well, I know so." Anyways, we negotiated, and next thing I knew, I was packing everything I had into my uh, into my old Thunderbird, and I drove to Columbus, Georgia, got a job managing a uh, a Paul folks restaurant. And started my training. And that was it. So I trained for 13 months. Uh, uh, was there right with uh, Marty Jannetty, who was also trained there with mm-hmm. Jerry Oates. And uh, so that's how the whole thing got started. So I, I thought I knew everything after 13 months. Uh-huh. And uh, we finally had a, a match just with the students. Wow. Um, uh, um and I had uh, my first match and I said wow this is all I wanted I didn't want to be a wrestler I just wanted to know what was real and what was fake as they said okay so I used to go to the matches every Wednesday at the Civic center still in Columbus and see the the old uh, NWA guys and of course had Dusty Rhodes and all those guys were coming in uh, Ole and uh, Arn Anderson uh, so I went one day and a uh, guy that I trained with was putting up the ring And I said, Bill, what are you doing? He says, well, they actually rent the ring for me when they uh, come to town. He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing nothing. And uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, I'm wrestling this little place up in somewhere up in North Georgia, a little bar. He said, why don't you come and uh, watch me, bring your stuff. And I said, well, I'm not going to bring my stuff. I said, I don't want to wrestle, but I'd like to come watch you. Mm -hmm. So I went a few weeks, and one week he told me to bring my bag, and so I threw it in the back of the car, and somebody didn't show up in this uh, bar that had about 20 drunks in it and uh, said, you want to work? Now again, I've had one match that was just a squash job. Mm -hmm. I thought I knew everything. I knew absolutely nothing other than (laughs) technically I was sound because it was old school training. You know, you learn to mat wrestle first. We learned on gym mats on a cement floor we didn't have no cushiony ring or nothing so you learn to take a bump the right way mm-hmm. or you break yourself so um, uh, so I went and watched it and the guy says do you want to work and I said sure so he says okay you're going to work a guy named the Animal and he's going to go over I said okay so I get back in the locker room and I said Bill my buddy I said Animal is, is going to go over what does that mean? Does that mean like he's going over the top <laughs> rope or I'm going over the top or something? I didn't even know. That's how green I was. He said, no, dummy. That means he's going to win. Oh, okay. So, anyways, <clears throat> I did it. I wrestled as Randy Franklin because Randy is my real name and my dad's name was Frank, so I picked Randy Franklin. Mm-hmm. And I always had the mustache and I had the long hair and I was in some type of shape. And uh, so, anyways, I, I got beat, and it was, a, well, like I said, kind of a squash match. And he says, uh, "Can you come back next week?" I said, "Sure." So the promoter guy called me eh, a couple days later and said, "You know, I got an idea. You kind of look like that Hulk Hogan guy. Now this is back in the '70s when Hogan is just Hulkamania is just coming into its own." Right. He says, "We're gonna, we're gonna call you Hal Hogan." And I says, well, uh, oh, whatever you want to do, that's fine with me, but can we not do the hell? How about Randy? He says, okay, you're going to be Randy Hogan, and you're going to be his nephew or his cousin or something. I says, okay, whatever you want. Just pay me, pin me, pay me, as they say. So I went to, uh, so that's how the whole Randy Hogan thing came up. I wasn't doing a Hogan gimmick. I had turquoise trunks and boots and a black velvet sequin robe and everything, and uh, nothing to do with Hulk Hogan other than facially, he looked like me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyways, we had a, another match, and I went back to the next match, and uh, I went home.
1: To
0: my girlfriend, I said, "Honey, I've been doing this Hogan thing, so you got to bleach my hair." So I bleached my hair blonde, and my mustache, and my eyebrows. And everything else, and always had a dark tan, and uh, so that's how the Hogan thing started. So I'm wrestling in this little bar. Then you know, guys, you're on the card with you go see them when they wrestle different places, and and uh, professional courtesy. If you go to see, I go to see Joe Blow wrestle. He introduces me to the promoter and said, you know, if you ever need me, give me a call. So because I had this look. Uh, I started getting getting uh, getting work on a regular basis, and uh, finally I got on a card that uh, they used to bring in a, a name uh, just for a main event, and this one was Action Mike Jackson, who was on AEW a couple months ago. He was almost seventy years old now, still wrestling, still and still can go. Right. So, anyways, is, he is was he, he was is, uh, is
1: he the one that was. Is he the one that was on Impact a while ago and had that, like, awesome match? Like, like um, I forgot who he wrestled, but was that him or is that somebody else I'm thinking of?
0: He was. No, that, 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 was, that was him.
1: Oh, okay. But, uh,
0: yeah, he was. I he was so, gonna... so, so I'm working. Yeah. Yeah, so Mike was in the main event, of course, and I was in the semi-main at the time. And I said, Mike, I says, how do you get on TV? He says, well, he says, you know, I take take guys up to Atlanta. Um, Mike used to book for the bookers. Mike would bring in the jobbers. Mm -hmm. And he'd bring in four or five or six guys and, of course, take a big cut of our pay. He made more off of us than we made. But uh, so I went up, and it was the same story as in that little bar. Somebody didn't show up. You know, Hogan, you want to work? Sure. He says, okay. Now, this is my first time up there. I'm in a locker room like a kid in a candy shop. I'm looking at all these people I grew up watching. Again, Dusty was there. Ricky Steamboat was in there. Flair was in there. Midnight Express was in there. uh, Black Bart, Larry Zabisco, just everybody at the time. So I'm just sitting up there in this uh, locker room like a scared little kid. He says, okay, you're going to work the barbarian and the warlord. I says, okay. I never seen two guys so huge in my life. So I get in the ring, go through the match, and uh, during the match, the the barbarian goes to shoot me in the ropes. Now, anytime you do an have an element of risk, like you throw someone in the ropes or something, you know, you usually tell the guy what's going to happen. You know, right. like is he shooting you in elbow, drop kick, whatever else. So he's shooting me in. Now again. I'm scared to death. I'm nervous. I'm full of adrenaline. My first time actually on TV. So he shoots me and says, Bibu. and I said, I'm thinking to myself, what's that mean? I didn't know. So I hit them ropes, hundred miles an hour, came off the ropes. And next thing I know is I got a size 15 in my face, Ooh. breaks my nose. What he was saying, cause he's, he's, he's talking like Samoan. And yep. he was saying big boot, like watch for the big boot. But all I heard was boo-boo. So, so I learned. So anyways, that that was my whole thing. So I broke my nose, blood going all over the place. This is TV. And uh, um, after the matches, J.J. Uh, J. Dillon was uh, booking at the time. Mm-hmm. He says, Hogan, you going to come back next week? And I said, sure. Because I was living about an hour from Atlanta. And uh, they tape. T- they used to tape every Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they do three hours worth of taping at a time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's actually how I got started um, with it was NWA at the time, and then Ted Turner bought it, turned it into WCW, and of course, let a lot of the uh, the jobbers, as we were called, to enhancement or carpenters or whatever you wanted to call us. Um, they let a lot of them go because when Turner came in, they wanted people that c- could actually wrestle, could work. Because you remember back in the old days, the squash jobs, you didn't do anything. You didn't punch. You didn't do nothing. You were just a piece of meat. You right. were there put, putting the guy over to be some kind of a mean animal. Well, when Turner took it over and Jim Hurd and Bischoff and guys like that were up there, they wanted guys that could work. So I could go in there with a Brad Armstrong or a Flair or somebody else, and I could actually wrestle. So there was probably six or seven of us that uh, that they kept on simply because we were trained right, we knew how to wrestle. I was lucky enough that I I could I could always take bumps, I could always I could take a fall from any position. It didn't matter. Uh, I was small by them means at the time. I weighed about 230, which was small back then. Um, So the guys could toss me around, and it it was a different mentality in the locker room back then. You didn't complain. You didn't cry. You didn't whine. You did your job. You get back, no matter how stiff they may have been or mean or whatever else, you thank them for the match, shook their hand, and moved on. That was job security. That's how kept, how you kept working year after year where a lot of these jobbers, you'd see one or two shots and you'd never see them again. So, so again, that was old school way of doing things. Um, so I got, uh, you know, the guys get to know you as you work with them once in a while. Mm -hmm. And some of them have a say, so who they work. So I used to work a lot with Jimmy Cornette and the midnight express, um, Jimmy was wonderful to me, um, as was Kevin Sullivan. So when they had to say so, they say, "Well, yeah, let us work with Hogan, whatever," because they knew that they could do whatever they wanted with me, and I wouldn't complain, and I could take it, without getting hurt. So that was kind of my job security type thing. Except uh, I met up with Rick Steiner one day in Savannah, Georgia. Steiner used to do a lot of like belly back, belly to back suplexes. Mm-hmm. And I worked him a few times, it always landed on my head. So I felt him go behind and I said, okay, I'm going to kind of turn and take it, you know, across my shoulders a little bit more on my back. Well, I turned too much and cracked my clavicle, which is that Ooh. little bone that goes across the front from the neck to the shoulder. Uh-huh. So right in the middle of the match, of course, tell the referee, you know, my shoulder, you know, take it home, which means finish the match. So he just told Steiner, "We'll take it home with nothing." So Steiner puts me in and gives me a power slam. I felt like I'd been shot again because his was bone busted and he slammed me. So, uh, so that was pretty much how my full-time career ended with WCW. I moved down to back down to Florida and uh, bought a restaurant. Ended up owning six restaurants. And in the meantime, they started doing their t- TV tapings from TBS. They moved it down to Disney, down to Hollywood Studios, It was MGM Studios at the time. Mm-hmm. So to keep relevant, I made a couple calls. So every time they would do TV taping, and now I was only a half hour away from there, um, I'd do TV. And I did that into the, into the mid-90s. Uh, it's just to stay relevant. I was like a Ronald McDonald. You know, I had a. It was called a Randy Hogan Cedar River Seafood with restaurants, and uh, you know, kids, little kids come in, and uh, uh, the newspaper picked it up and said, you know, owned by professional wrestler Randy Hogan. So I had to keep the Hogan gimmick going. So I had to keep my hair bleached blonde and my mustache and all this, and stay in pretty good shape. And uh, you know, mom and dad would tell the kids, well, "Where do you want to go eat tonight? Oh, let's go see Randy Hogan." Because when they come in, mm-hmm. I'd sit down and I'd always talk to them and tell them a little bit about this, a little bit about that. Give them a little, I had five by seven, little promo pictures I'd sign for them and that. So I was like a Ronald McDonald type of guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so that's pretty much a beginning to end, you know, a lot in between. But that's uh, kind of how it started and how it ended right there. <laughs> it was, uh, and, uh, it was the a lot matches, of fun.
1: One of the matches I saw um, more recently, because it keeps it keeps popping up somewhere um, what was it like um, wrestling Vader because I, uh, I heard different stories on him and then also um, I was actually on an indie show where they brought him in and he wrestled one of the guys that was like maybe 120 pounds soaking wet and he <laughs> chokeslam- he chokeslam this kid and I thought <clears throat> the kid broke his neck and he folded up and, and locked room to him like how I'm like are you okay and I think he was a little banged up. But he, he, he knows all that. He's like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But then we didn't see him the rest of the night. So, but, yeah. um, so what, well, what was your experience wrestling him?
0: Vader was the roughest, most unpleasant match I probably ever had. <laughs> I wrestled him three times, but the one that, that's usually on YouTube that. <laughs> and that. And vader had just come over from japan where he was he was huge in japan and it's a different style of wrestling over there it's a lot rougher a lot a lot tougher okay so (laughs) so vader brought that style over here now vader was you know 360 370 strong as an ox they used to call him baby bull leon white when he started before he was vader but uh the the biggest problem with Vader was he just didn't care. Um, one kid actually broke his back in a match with him. Um, that thing that that little 125 uh, pound kid you mentioned that that was typical for Vader. Um, in my match, we uh, we got in there and. The first part of it, you see, he he puts me in a corner and just starts pummeling me, just hitting yeah. me, p- punching me, and those were like real punches. I mean, he wasn't pulling it, he wasn't missing, he wasn't doing nothing. So I'm scooting down in the corner, like to 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 sit down almost, and he starts punching punching me up, you know, like from like uppercuts, yeah, and everything. My God, I was so sore. So, anyways, get through the match. And he used to do that. You know, he'd get up on the second rope and jump up and down like a monkey a couple times and then pancake you, splash you, Vader's splash or whatever they called it. So he did that didn't break it at all, just came down full force. I thought I was going to die. I mean, my ribs are sore, everything else knocked the breath out of me. So then he goes up and he does a second one and picks me up at the count of two and I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? So then he does another one and finally pins me. Nick Patrick, who was one of the referees in that, two of them, they come out from the locker room to the ring to help me out of the ring. They thought I was legit dead or or hurt. I mean, I was winded and a little sore, but I mean, I was fine.
1: Yeah.
0: But it it was so real, and his reputation of being so rough or mean and, and disrespectful to the guys that are making him look like a star, okay, the jobbers as they called us, um, they thought it was real and they said you okay, you okay, okay, I says yeah, I'm fine, so they turned me back to the locker room but he didn't, apologize. didn't say nothing, I went up, shook his hand, thanks for the match and that was it so I don't have a whole lot of good things to say about Vader um, the second, probably toughest match close to that was against Abdullah the Butcher, Ooh. who was uh, a very, a very intelligent guy. I guess he still lives up in Atlanta, got a barbecue joint and stuff. But uh, he was managed you know, by Gary Hart at the time, and he was, a, I don't know, a U.S. champion or something. So I'm taking my my jacket off in the corner and he runs across the ring with a belt and smacks me in the head with the belt. Well, now usually the hand is between the buckle or something else. He hit me with a metal plate right in the head. Oh,
1: I, I know that feeling.
0: I've had that done to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Knock me crazy, you know. Then he goes through the match, and he throws me out of the ring, you know, and does some stuff to me and throws me back in. Then he he gets I'm, I'm on the apron, and he stands on me where he's got one foot on my throat, and one foot on my chest. Now, a guy this big is usually going to, like, have a hand on the rope, kind of use it for some for leverage yeah. to take some of the weight off of you. Yeah, he exactly. just stood there. I couldn't breathe or nothing. So then he got off, and then he got back on again. I said, holy shit. So um, we go on to the match and throws me out again and grabs a, a kendo stick from under the ring. Beats me, whips me like a dog with this kendo stick thing. So, throws me back in the ring, and again, there was a three-hour taping, and this was the first hour. And he pins me. So, I had another match the third hour against uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed. And Butch Reed used to use a, a bear hug. He got me up in a bear hug, and I'm watching it on TV the next day, and you could still see the welt marks all across my back from where Abdullah beat me. <laughs> so I get back in the in the uh, locker room afterward, and again, old school professional, shook his hand and everything. He says, you know, thank you. He says, you okay? And that kind of opened the door. And I says, well, yeah. I said, but you beat me to death with that kendo stick. He's smoking a cigar. He's got his feet up on a desk. And he said, son, it's good for the business. And that never made any sense until... I don't know, years after. And I said, you know, that was the old school way. If you're right in front of the crowd, you better lay him in. You're not pulling punches. You're not doing nothing. It's gotta be real. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not oh, supposed yeah. to just look real. It's gotta be real, unlike today. Oh so, yeah. Um, uh, but 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 uh, that was his yeah, that was his, his advice to me that stuck with me. You know, when you're in there, you know, don't bitch, don't complain. It's good for the business. And it really is. So,
1: yeah, cause like, those are my two most
0: memorable, memorable matches. Yeah,
1: because I had a similar experience. Um, I With, my, with uh, the promotion I help out with that I partially I, know, I run, uh, we do a little bar, and it's almost like an uh-huh. ECW style. So, there's like, you're right, so they go all over, so you're right on top of you. And we had a couple guys yep. like, oh man, why was why it so stiff? And, and we're like, well, the crowd is literally following you, and they're like almost—it almost looks like a bar fight at this point. So I'm like, when they're that close yep. to you, you can't—you have—you can't really pull too much, otherwise they're gonna. And this is a bar crowd too; it's not your typical wrestling crowd. So like, I know exactly uh-huh. where you're coming from with that. <laughs>
0: yeah, but but that was that say, was such good advice.
1: And what would, would you say your uh, your favorite person the wrestle was? Do you have a favorite?
0: Oh, God, I had so many of them. Um, I always liked working the Midnight Express. I worked all the different factions. My favorite was Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. Um, Jimmy Cornette was, uh, you know, as he's getting older, he's very outspoken. I mean, he always was.
1: Oh yeah. But
0: um, even back in the day, when he when he was when he was away from the ring, it's the same as when he was on the ring. Quick-witted you know sharp tongue um but again very good very respectful you know um kevin sullivan was another one kevin sullivan was a, a big influence because he used to be the uh work in the gorilla position as they say he'd have the headphones in the monitor and he'd uh, be by the curtain and tell you okay hogan you know go to the ring and hogan come back and whatever else so one day um I look at the sheet and I'm working against him and Mike Rotunda at the time who were in the varsity club, along with uh, Steve Williams, Dr. Death. And uh, so he hangs me in the corner upside down. He used to call the tree of woe and runs across the ring and just comes right into your your stomach. Again, very, very old school, very stiff, you know. Um, But it's funny because after that match, I guess – you earn respect from these guys, yeah and uh, and Kevin all of a sudden he'd see me say he'd start calling me Randy. Now just have little thing for calling me hogan go to the ring to saying, you know Randy, you're up, you're up next, whatever else. Um, and then we had some nice talks after that that I talked to him about a month ago, but he uh, uh, again, just a very good helpful influence. Uh, one of the friendliest guys when I was starting, like I said, I told you when I first went in there, I was like a kid in a candy shop in the locker room. I'm looking at all these stars and everything. And most of us little jobbers were sitting in the corner by ourselves because we don't want to say nothing or do nothing. We don't know what to do. Terry Funk was there. Terry Funk was the only one that got up, came across the room, went to each one of us individually, looked us right in the eye and said, shook our hands said, you know, my name's Terry Funk. What's your name? He said, I am so glad to meet you. I mean, wow, Terry Funk, saying he's glad to meet me, introducing himself to me, you know? So he made all the jobbers feel comfortable, and that was out of respect because he knew what we were doing, you know?
1: Yeah, Terry uh, Funk that's another
0: thing. Guy. I got to struck another thing. A lot of guys are offended by the term jobber. They call them jobbers, enhancement, carpenters, star makers. Personally, I don't care what they call me. Like I said, pin me, pay me. It's not an embarrassment to get your ass whooped by the road warriors. No. You know, <laughs> um, and, and and big guys like that. You know, they they uh, they would laugh and boo you and everything else. You know, but first of all, they're paying tickets to see ya, and second of all, you're there and they're not. You know, it's just, it it was really something. So if you think about it, well, you're driving right now, okay? Most, everybody's got a job. They go to work. They get paid to do a a job. So doesn't that make everybody a jobber? no different in wrestling. You go, you do your job. Yeah. Enhancement, well, that was because that's what we did. We enhanced that other person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like putting ketchup on a hamburger. It just enhances the flavor. Well, that's what we did as enhancement of the job. We enhanced whatever they wanted, whether it's making somebody look good technically or being a piece of meat for Vader or the Road Warriors as they're trying to make look into real animals. We enhanced them. Star makers, self-explanatory. That's what we did. We made them look like stars. Um, Carpenters, we built them up. We built them like a carpenter. We took what they had, and we were the foundation. We built upon it. So all these terms, you know, they laugh about them, but really they're not derogatory terms, at least to me and some of the older guys. Now a lot of them will differ. You know, they all we're professional wrestlers. We're not jobber. Well, yeah, you're a jobber. But
1: yeah.
0: Anyways, I, just to get that, a lot of people are offended by that term, and I'm one of the few that is not. Um, you know, they say, well, that's all you ever did. Well, no, you know, they saw the TV matches once a week on TV or twice a week or something. But they didn't see the shows during the week or the weekend, the house shows and some of the regional things. And, they and you know, we, we work on off nights in uh, high schools and National Guard armories and places like this and held many titles through the years. But all people remember you for, for is... Uh, you know, getting uh, squashed by Vader or something. So it's quite humorous yeah. sometimes.
1: And I have a uh, final question because I know you, um, I didn't want to keep you too long and I'd love to do a part two because there's so much more we can talk about. Cause, like, I, Absolutely. Because um, I'd love to get into, like, um, the other stuff with your titles and I'd love to get into your um, experiences with WWF. Um, uh-huh. So the uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, so my final question is, when you came to the end of WCW, I think it, I read up that it was, like, around 1994. Did that have been... Yeah, 94, 95-ish, yes. Okay. So, I'm going to actually do a two-parter. Um, what, Did that, your departure from WCW, have anything to do with the signing of Hulk? And also, nope. did they ever... Okay. And did they ever consider you for... Because I think it was around the same time frame, if I remember right. When uh, Kevin Sullivan was doing the thing with... um The Hulkamaniac thing with Dave Sullivan... Were you ever considered for that uh,
0: spot? Um, not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. Uh, the Hogan thing—that's a—that's a—that's a long story. Um, I, I came along uh, about the time a little bit earlier than the uh, when they started the Monday Night Wars, you know, WW yeah. at the time and WCW. And if you notice, my whole career, I wrestled as Randy Hogan. Yes. Not a Hulk Hogan knockoff, but people thought I was related. They thought simply because I had the physical appearance. You know, not the height and everything, but uh, facially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was probably one of the only regular full-time jobbers, WCW, that never had to change his name. And I thought that was odd. But what it was, is WCW at the time wanted to show superiority over WWF, which of course was Hulk Hogan at the time. So they said, you know, yeah, Hogan's your big man, well let us show you what we do to Hogan's. And it was kind of that attitude, you know?
1: Yeah. So,
0: so they purposely job me out against the Vaders, the biggest guys in the world, and um, just to, to show superiority over the WWF type thing. That's why I never had to change my name. They never did. Um, and does Hulk Hogan know about me? Yes. Have I ever had a discussion with him face-to-face? Nope. Um, last year at the big event in New York, the convention, Yes. I was at a table sitting directly, and I was in full gimmick. Um, right at my table, right across the, the aisleway, six feet away from Jimmy Hart, who in real life is Hulk Hogan's best friend and business partner. And, you know, he has a lot of ventures going on other than wrestling. So I said, you know, I got to do this. I'm scared to death all day. Jimmy Hart, Hulk's best friend. What's he going to say? What's he going to think? So I went over at the end. I said, Jimmy, could I get a picture with you? He said, sure, brother. And, uh, we took a couple of them, and afterwards, I, I, of course, I thanked them, and I said, you know, I I was a little worried because I know, you know, your relationship with Hogan and didn't know, you know, what everybody thought of of what other people created. Like I said, I never created the Hulk Hogan, the Randy Hogan, Hulk Hogan knockoff type thing. That was created for me, both in name and at this event. Jimmy says, look. He said, not that you're the topic of conversation. He said, but Hulk and I well aware of you. He said, we've discussed you before. He said, and we fully endorse everything you're doing. He said, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've never done anything to tarnish the name, you know, and as far as any drugs or any controversy whatsoever. Um, when Hogan went NWA, turned into a heel for a while, I did the heel thing the same way I kind of followed. His lead, without ever saying that I was related or have anything to do with Hulk. So Jimmy said, he said, love, love the outfit because I had the the yellow and red on, and uh, he said we love what your gimmick, you know what what you're doing, and you just go ahead with it. So it was like an endorsement that I got from Jimmy Hart, and and indirectly through Hogan. So yeah, it's so that Hulk was comedy. my only. Thing, yeah, yeah. When when Hogan went to WCW, I was actually working part time as a, at a radio radio station. I had a little, uh, uh, just a little three minute wrestling, like a dirt sheet as they had at the time, just before the internet and that. Yeah. So he did a ticker type parade, and of course, at Disney when he came to uh, WCW, and I was there, but I was there as a reporter, sitting in front. Well, somehow, again, it's on YouTube too, and and I'm right there with a notepad, and uh, you know they're asking him questions and everything, and he looked at me, and he looked a second time and just like a little nod, just kind of acknowledging me. That's the only acknowledgement I ever had in my life from (laughs) Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Um, So, but that I was I wasn't a plant from WCW. I was a real reporter working for a radio station. And uh, I just was lucky enough to go cover that. So.
1: And um, what, before we let you go, would you, is there um, anything like any social media you want to promote where people can follow you? Or um, do you want to talk about uh, or promote any signings you have coming up? Because I know you have one, I believe, coming up. Yeah, up, in, up in your neck
0: of the woods. I'm going to be at, uh, at uh, M&J Video Games and Collectibles, which is in Southington, Connecticut. I'll be there on... Uh, for a meet and greet and a virtual on Friday, the 22nd from a six to 10 PM.
1: Yes. Yeah, so anybody uh, just find in can... for that
0: one thing. Yes.
1: Yeah, so if you can't get there, you could be from anywhere and take part in the signing. So just so everybody knows.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: You don't have to be you know, from Connecticut. Absolutely. To take part
0: in this. Yep. Just look uh, up, uh, M and J, you know, video collectibles and you can uh, see it live. um, I'll be selling merchandise there too. I'll have t-shirts and glasses and and, and sunglasses and bandanas and uh, a multitude of pictures and keychains and all kinds of stuff. and uh, uh, you can go uh, you know just go on the computer, go online and actually, Talk to me directly and, and say you want a picture personalized to uh, to Corey or to Ray or whoever. You know, you can watch me sign it right there. I'll give you a shout-out, show it to you, and we'll drop it in the mail. So it's uh, – they call it a virtual signing, but it's almost as close as you can get to being uh, live and in person. And I guess they're going to be open also. The store will be open for those that live in the Connecticut area. that can actually come in and uh, uh, shake hands and take a picture and uh, – And get it first hand. Anyways, all the conventions that are starting to open up, it looks like that. And I'll be at the big event uh, in New York again, which is in uh, in March. And uh, uh, there's one in March also in Rome, Georgia. And there's one in Jacksonville. So they're starting to open up a lot. Down here in Florida the whole state is pretty much opened up as far as the COVID thing goes. You know, there's, they encourage social distancing, but, uh, you know, they're, they're having events. Um, there's a, a convention going to be a Russell Palooza. It used to be WrestleCon, but they're not having the WrestleCon this year, which is always held in the same town, um, WrestleMania week and WrestleMania is going to be in Tampa this year. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. have a Wrestlepalooza Palooza, which is a lot of the names, and uh, and I'll be there also. So so I show up at these conventions, and uh, even how that all got started—that's a long story we can keep for part two, you know. But yeah, uh, uh, it's funny because my whole career, like I said, I always have. If you look at my early all my promo pictures, in there, they're always in the black robe, the turquoise trunks, and everything. Well, when I got called to do. My first convention, which was the big event in New York last year, uh, the vendor said, "You know, you're gonna do the Hogan thing." And I said, "Well, what do you mean? Okay." So instead of dressing like I normally do, now I had the Hogan gimmick. So I had T-shirts, Randomania, just like Hulkamania. It's Randomania T-shirts, made up. (laughs) Um, Instead of NWO, I got HWO. uh, You know, Hogan's World Order, and uh, with my signature on them. Uh, so the, I, I changed outfit, but I had the uh, the yellow bandana and red sunglasses and the yellow t-shirt with the red and the uh, tie-dyed spandex and my boots and everything in, in full gimmick. But that's what the vendor wanted. So now it seems that that's more popular. People would rather see me in that Hogan getup than in my old stuff. So. <laughs> so that's why now, if you see my current pictures in that, they're they're pretty much in the uh, uh, in in the, the Hogan mode of dress, unless you buy one of the old WCW promo pictures, which is in my room in there.
1: Yeah, and uh, so some, and uh, and so if
0: they know. want, yeah, and to see all my stuff, it's real easy on Facebook. Just go to Randy Hogan stuff. You want to see Randy Hogan stuff? Go to Randy Hogan stuff on Facebook. It's got some of my. Uh, uh, it'll have a, like this podcast. Um, we'll have that on there. Um, it's got upcoming events. It's got all my merchandise and everything else. How to get a hold of me? I'm very accessible, uh, all the time, and just love to talk to somebody. Just send me a private message saying hi, and I'll always answer back hi. So,
1: but and Randy we're Hogan up.
0: stuff on Facebook. That's where they get everything.
1: Yeah, and we're recording this on Friday, January 8th. Um, normally, the podcasts are out by Friday, but um, as not everyone knows, we had Death in the Family. Um, so I am going to work my hardest to actually have this up either either late tonight or early in the morning. and then, mm-hmm. So we can look for it then. And I would, I'd like to thank you so much, Randy. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. I cannot wait to get to part two because we have so much more to dig into.
0: Yeah, this was awesome. Uh, Corey and Ray, both of you guys, thank you so much for, for thinking of an old, busted-down old guy like me. You know, I, I, I sure appreciate it. And I'm wide open to any kind of questions or sharing a story and uh, uh, at, at any time I'm at your disposal.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So for this episode with Randy Hogan, we were out of time. So we will get to a part two sometime, probably soon. So for Mr. Ray and Corey Adams, this has been Behind the Curtain Podcast. And we will catch you next time,
0: brother.